Hello, everyone. You are listening to Button Center, presented by the Marist College Center for Sports Communication. I'm Matt Bono, joined, as always, by Matt Zhukevich. And today we have a little special surprise, and we welcome the host of ESPN's Baseball Tonight, Carl Ravage. Carl, thanks for joining us today. Boys, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks very much. And uh, we finally got rid of ski masks for a while on the baseball fields, which is good. <laughs> Actually, it was witness to baseball being played in 80-degree temperatures recently, and things just go better. Balls fly further. Everybody's a little more comfortable. Yeah, I was going to say the ball's actually starting to travel out there. Um, and the Bronx, they had a great night last night, um, and we saw the weather have a real impact there. But you had a busy week last week. You were in a place that um, hasn't really had problems with cold temperatures. Puerto Rico, uh, you were down there calling some games for the Indians Twin Series. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, ironically, Major League Baseball had scheduled this long before any hurricanes had hit that island and destroyed their infrastructure and their power grid, and they had basically gotten power back to about 90% of the island. And while we were there, um, a lone excavator uh, doing his best to help restore some of the infrastructure took down uh, a wire which ultimately sort of upended the entire power grid again. So while we were preparing for a game on Wednesday, the power to the entire island was out. So as we got to Iran Beethorn Stadium, we walked into uh, Paul Molitor's office, the manager of the Twins, and honest to God, he is sitting at his desk, uh, and it's being illuminated by two lanterns. Wow. There was no power in the building. Wow. So he's got two lanterns. Franco Terry Francona plays cribbage, and he had to play cribbage using lanterns so it was it was very very surreal and within about an hour of us getting there uh the generators uh had lit up the entire building including the clubhouses and by the time the game had ended uh, the power grid was for the most part back up and running so that, that was the most surreal part is you're you are thrust back into the dark ages where they are using lanterns to write out lineup cards and or play cribbage so that was that part was bizarre but having never been to Puerto Rico, I mean, there is a there is a sincere love for baseball there. And given the shortstops that currently play and or second basemen like Javi Baez and Carlos Correa and Francisco Lindor, who was there, uh, just to see the way that baseball is received there and how important it is to their culture was, was really, really cool. And it's a very Americanized culture. I mean, they get ESPN, uh, so they have all the cables – stations that we do they know their their baseball beyond just the players from puerto rico that that part was really cool yeah and we saw some of that atmosphere come into play when of course lindor rose to the occasion with the home run and we saw him you know excited smiling hopping around the bases um really pumped up is that something that we need to see more of in the united states and in the major leagues it's kind of the atmosphere that you saw in puerto rico yeah i mean look I, i'm all for um celebrating when it's warranted and they they play that way all the time the idea that uh you know we in america have a particular culture or we have an expectation of how you're supposed to play the game how you're supposed to act how you're supposed to celebrate uh, is very very different than different cultures from across the globe whether it be japan uh or whether it be the dominican or venezuela or in this case puerto rico so uh, I, I always defer to 
justifiable celebrations and emotion. I think the game would be far better served having that. And I will say that in the case of the Puerto Rican players uh, or anybody that has seen the Caribbean series played, there is no offense that's taken by any of these actions. Celebrations from pitchers after a strikeout, celebrations from batters after a... Nobody gets offended by it. The, The place where you see people taking offense is generally here. And I think we should all be a little more accepting of exuberance, especially when it's justified, rather than say, just go to your base, put your head down and circle the bases, just don't pump your fists. I mean, let's go, boys and girls. This is sports. <laughs> You're supposed to be supposed to have emotion associated with it. It was definitely great to see, though, with the Puerto Rican natives. Lindor, like, as we mentioned, and Barrios had the start on the mound. And Rosario. I Eddie Rosario, the walk-off. Yeah, I believe he's yeah. Puerto yeah. Rican um, native. So it's just definitely great to see their kind of emotions come out through the sport that they love. And like you said, I, I believe it is something that we need to start seeing more of in the MLB. So we ha- also have some scary news come out of White Sox camp with Danny Farquhar. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? And Do you have any updates for us? Yeah, I mean, look, it's that was a, you know, that was that was one of those situations where this is not a line drive off of a off of a pitcher's head or a uh, baseball that's thrown by a pitcher and breaks somebody's wrist. Uh, wrist, you know, this was one of those deals where he just uh, experienced some headaches and then collapsed in the in the dugout. So it, it appears as if he's going to be okay, but that that's more of a, a situation where you're talking about life and death and. You're talking about it that it can happen in a supermarket the same way it happens in a dugout. It's so rare because, as you guys know, we're generally talking about athletes who are in their uh, early 20s to their mid-30s who tend to be in great shape. And, and look, I I'll, I'll think we all understand Major League Baseball players were not always in the best shape. These guys now you know, condition themselves year-round, and for the most part, uh, you would put them up against any other athletes as far as their conditioning. So when you see a player go down with a malady that afflicts uh, anybody at any time, it, it's scary because you're not used to it. It's sort of a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. And I know that his teammates there and his teammates with his former teams uh, were, were you know, sincerely and genuinely concerned for him. It does appear as if he's, he's going to be okay. But uh, for a while, when something like that happens and you find out there's bleeding on a brain and an aneurysm, uh, that's that's one of those things where you realize this is way, way bigger than baseball. This right. is about uh, man's health and life and death. So, yeah, I think he's going to be okay. Fingers are crossed. But those those things are thankfully uh, not something you see, you know, on a regular right. basis in Major League Baseball or any sport. Yeah, it was definitely a scary moment, and our thoughts and best wishes go out to him and his family. Um, but I wanted to talk about something a little bit different. Carl, we saw um, last week... Uh, the Yankees, or a few days ago, actually called up Glaber Torres. Um, a few days after his service clock deadline had passed, is that something that the MLB needs to look into? Uh, are teams kind of exploiting that rule and not playing the best players that the organizations have to offer? Because now that's Glaber Torres. We saw it with Chris Bryant. Acuna is still in AAA after that great spring that he had. Is that something that MLB and Commissioner Rob Manfred has to look into? Well. I mean, they're not exploiting anything. They're playing within the rules. So I think we got to understand the rule was, you know, agreed on by the Players Association and Major League Baseball. So do do teams manipulate it? Do they use it to their advantage so that Chris Bryant has another year with the Chicago Cubs? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's part of a much bigger 
dialogue and negotiation that has to take place between Major League Baseball and the Players Association uh, while they're preventing maybe some of the better young players from getting to the majors until mid-April. They're also, they're also preventing now what appears to be um, you know, the best players from earning the dollars when they're at their best as far as their abilities go. There's been a seismic shift in how teams view talent and how it relates to the age of the player. You know, we're going to have Harper come up as a free agent next year. We've seen this offseason, a number of guys uh, who expected to now, quote-unquote, get paid because they put their service time in, and you look around and you're not going to get that six- or seven-year deal that you thought you were going to get. So I think, I think that's part of a bigger discussion on how these contracts are going to be negotiated I hope it will allow for the player who is 23 or 24 uh, to somehow either have his arbitration-eligible years reduced uh, or free agency appear sooner on their clock as opposed to later because the, the, the shift now is definitely, and we saw it with the Astros last year and we've seen it in other sports, you don't need to be a 10-year veteran to be a great baseball player. <laughs> and given all of these showcases that these dudes play in growing up through uh, junior high and high school, there is seemingly no stage too big for them. Used to be, you need to have experience along with the skill. And I remember being at the uh, World Series in '97 with Jim Leland and the Marlins when they played the Yankees, and he had Beckett on his staff and he had AJ Burnett in his staff. And I remember asking him about experience uh, versus talent, and he looked at me and said, "I'll take talent every day of the week." I think that's now permeated the game that we realize talent wins out. It's not necessarily the experience, it's the talent. And that's sort of a bigger global answer to your question just about service time. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, because we want to talk a little bit about Aaron Boone. What do, you think, what do you think at the start of the season for the Yankees? Is that indicative of Aaron Boone's management, or is it more of the foundation of the roster? What do you think of Aaron Boone's first few weeks so far? Well, let me ask you this, because I know Booney pretty well. What do you think of it? Like what? What is the impression? What is the impression of Aaron Boone and the first two plus weeks of Major League Baseball with the Yankees? I mean, I honestly, I've watched every single game so far. I can legitimately tell, like honestly, telling you that I really don't think he's made a wrong move yet. Um, he kind of <laughs> got criticized for that um, uh, intentionally walking Josh Donaldson and then Dave Robertson throwing to Justin Smoke, but I mean. If uh, you could even defend him on the mistakes or quote unquote mistakes that he has made so far, so I really think that Boone's done a great job. You could see the team is much more relaxed than last year. Um, I'm kind of a big fan of how he's had that casual feel. Even something I've been telling um, my friends and family, something as small as just how he wears his cap. Like it's so relaxed that he has it up when he's talking to reporters. He has laughs. He shows emotion. I think that just relaxes that young team, and um, it allows guys like Aaron Judge or even now the Andujars, guys like that to kind of show who they really are and take a deep breath and know that, hey, my manager has my back, um, and I just got to go out there and play and not worry about anything else. Right. So I, w I will say that your, your analysis of, of Boone's personality is spot on. Um, you know, I, I think, as Buck Showalter once told us, just because a move doesn't work out doesn't mean that it was the wrong move. And just because a decision does work out doesn't really mean that it was the right move. And the most difficult 
job of a manager now is when you talk about between the lines, when to take a pitcher out and who to bring in from the bullpen and how long we leave that guy in. That night that you're talking about, nobody could get anybody out of the bullpen. Right. It almost felt as if it, it didn't matter if he had uh, you know, if he had Luis Severino available, that that was going to work. It just felt like that one was not going to work. Um, you know, Booney is as comfortable in his own skin as anybody that I've ever seen be comfortable in their own skin. He necessarily, you know, went out and blew them away in his uh, eight-hour interview, and he wasn't going to really be the manager of the Yankees until Brian Cashman called him and said, any interest in doing this? And he's like, heck yeah. And he was on the sidelines of his son's, you know, a flag football game in Arizona. So <laughs> Booney's, reputa- Booney's reputation kind of preceded him from the booth to the manager's position. And I, I think you guys now recognize, you know, we had we had Dusty Baker and Joe Girardi and John Farrell all make the playoffs last year. They all made the playoffs. None of them were asked back as manager. So there is clearly as much attention being paid to the interactions between manager and player, and perhaps more important, manager and front office, than ever before. So what we're looking for, I think, from an organizational standpoint to have success is you want the connection between Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, and let's say Aaron Judge to be one and the same. Everybody is aligned. And I think with guys like Boone, like Alex Cora in Boston, you, you have the ability to take message from Cashman and deliver it to Judge without it either getting uh, mistranslated or you go to Aaron Judge and say, look, I don't agree with this, but we want you to do it this way. Uh, Gleyber Torres, I don't agree with this, but we need you to take four steps to your left. The message now is this is what we're doing. We all understand why we're doing it. And you will listen to what I'm saying because I have that guy upstairs who is supporting me, and uh, I'm supporting him. So we're all on the same page. And that's, you know, that's why, to me, Boone will have great success and, and Cora will have success and Kapler, to a degree, will have success. And the reason that Boone and Cora will have more success than Kapler is the ultimate cure-all for managers' <laughs> success. They got the best damn players. That's why they're going to win. And now switching boroughs a little bit, um, Matt Harvey and the New York Mets, uh, they finally demoted him to the bullpen. What can we expect from Matt Harvey in the future? What is kind of the rest of the year going to be looking like from him? Can he ever come close to even a serviceable starter again? Well, I mean, I think that's that's an open-ended jury to be kind of question I think from Harvey's perspective you know he he now has to look at this as an opportunity uh, he's not the first guy who was a starter that had been sent to the bullpen and perhaps could either work his way back to a starting position or he stays in the bullpen and becomes a, a very valuable sixth seventh inning guy seventh eighth inning guy uh, who knows? If Familia goes down and Harvey's great, he, he could be a closer. I, I think the I think the truth is there is a great unknown when you go to the bullpen, how you're going to fit in there, what your attitude about it is going to be. But I think in Harvey's case, you know, he he's had enough 
baggage now where he's got to recognize any opportunity he's given, he has to take advantage of it. And the same way that Andrew Miller now comes out of that Indians bullpen, and you know, if he's facing three guys, none of them are getting on base. If he's facing six guys, none of them are going to get on base. Unless unless he's really off or then he got lucky. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Harvey, Matt Harvey's got the ability to do the same thing, and he could potentially work his way back into that starting rotation. Or look, all of a sudden, Matt Harvey with his body and his weight loss, and it may be that that those bullets are not going to be 97 ever again, and he has to redefine himself as a pitcher, you know, and, and come up with some off-speed stuff and and mix it in with a 93 or four mile an hour fastball, but. Whether, whether we can sit here and say the days of the dark night are over, I don't think I'm not in a position to sit there and say yes, it's changed. It's it's now the uh, you know it's now the dusk night. He's lost the darkness. It's now dusk. And it's funny that you mentioned attitude before because how much of this and his adjustment and even maybe his downfall can can be contributed to his attitude. Does Matt Harvey need an well, attitude adjustment because? From what we saw when he was, you know, all world, he kind of had that prima donna feel and prima donna look to him, but everyone kind of liked it because he was pitching to a 2-5 ERA. But now, right. since he's being demoted to a bullpen pitcher, he's still kind of pouting a little bit, has a little bit of an attitude to him. Does that have to change for him to be contributing to the New York Mets again? You know, if you think about recent managers of the year in Major League Baseball or guys that failed and then went on to win World Series, and you think about guys like Joe Torre, who managed the Cardinals and was terrible, and he gets hired to manage the Yankees, and people are like, why would we hire Joe Torre? He's, he's never won. Uh, he was a decent player in Atlanta, but he's never won. Terry Francona was brutal in Philadelphia. His teams were terrible. Why would the Red Sox hire Terry Francona, and then he wins a couple of the World Series? Uh, managers never, in my opinion, uh, change dramatically and certainly they don't change their personality i've known both those guys for a long long time they're the same people whether they're wearing yankee uniforms uh one's working in the commissioner's office one's wearing a philly or a red Sox uniform so the same personality that didn't work for those guys in certain places and then worked in others mm-hmm. there wasn't a dramatic change and i would think that if i were a solely diehard met fan and Matt Harvey's attitude a couple of years ago was the same as it is now, well, his attitude doesn't need to change. He either needs to figure out how to get guys out with the stuff he has uh, or rediscover the stuff that he once had. But I don't care if he's what his attitude is like. I think sometimes fans get caught up in the, uh, the theatrics of it, and it's easy to get angry with a guy who appears not to be trying his hard. Carl, we're losing you a little bit. Can you hear us? When he was pitching really well, uh, so I, I wouldn't change. I'm not worried about his personality. I think that's a fan thing. All right, so we're going to wrap things up here with a little Shohei Otani talk. I don't know if you've heard our podcast before, if you're a longtime listener or first-time <laughs> caller or whatever, but uh, we talk a lot about Shohei Otani. I'd like to get your thoughts on maybe a little bit of his hype surrounding him, uh, what kind of fatigue he might endure throughout the year. Do you think it's possible that he can sustain the two-way play? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I am a frequent listener because I believe when you guys addressed Shohei Otani, one of you actually called him Sheho Otani. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh. So I do listen. 
And um, uh, and by the way, I have done that countless times over my career with players' names. So that's that's all part that's all part of the growing. Oh my process. goodness! Thank you so much for bringing what, that up. <laughs> whether he uh, whether he can continue it, you know, I, I tend to fall back on my little league sword often when it comes to the players from Japan's ability. I don't know that there's a more fundamentally sound group of players growing up than those that star in Japan. And when the red light went on, Otani clearly showed his ability to do things uh, that he didn't show in spring training. So whether he can continue it and how the Angels balance his starting pitching with being a position player, um, you know, that's another time-will-tell thing. I will say that I believe personally that the ability to do both uh, is absolutely within an athlete's, uh, you know, abilities. That, that this is not something, if he's going to be a starting pitcher and do it every sixth or seventh day, that for three or four other days he can play, uh, he could play the field, I would argue, but he can certainly be a DH. Uh, we, we have gotten so position-centric on players, and this is all you can do, and so specialized in things, that I think we've, we've tended to take away from these guys' athletic abilities and what they are capable of. Uh, if Bo Jackson could play football and baseball, Shohei Otani can pitch on Sunday and be a hitter on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, in my opinion, without any problem. His biggest challenge is going to be when pitchers figure out what his holes are uh, at the plate and when the hitters figure out what he's trying to do to get them out uh, you know as a pitcher so th those to me are the bigger challenges more than fatigue or anything that the angels are gonna try to do I would hate to see him limited because a front office decides you know what he can't do both even though he's he's driven in X amount of runs even though his ERA is this, or even though he keeps us in games when he starts, we're just not going to do it because it's it's not been done. I, I hope that I hope that doesn't happen. And the fascination around Otani uh, and the excitement we have going to do baseball tonight in Anaheim on Sunday when the Yankees are playing the Angels, and you have the two, you could argue the two biggest stars in the sport right now on one team in Otani and Trout against maybe star number three and four in the sport, at least in the league, in Judge and Stanton, well, I mean, how, how much better does it get than that? And if Shohei Otani was just a pitcher, the excitement level would be muted a little bit. So I, I'm all in on trying to do it both for as long as, as he physically can hold up doing it, and I don't see why that's a problem. Carl, I, I, I'm really happy you brought that up, and I know we're kind of running a little long here and we don't want to take up much more of your time, but I am very interested to see your thoughts on this because we talked about it last week. You brought up Trout and Judge and Stanton, but I was talking about with Matt, what is it about Mike Trout? Why isn't that he the slam dunk face of baseball? Because I think we could all agree he's been the best player in the game for the last five years. Um, he plays the game, quote-unquote, the right way. He has the look. He talks the right way. But now he's not even the most talked-about player on his own team anymore. And we saw Aaron yeah. Judge in a couple of months go on and take the face of the MLB away from him. And Bryce Harper is in the conversation, and Chris Bryant's in the conversation. What is it about Trout? Why isn't he the slam-dunk face of the MLB? 
Right. And I would say, I think the answer to that is fairly simple in that find me anybody who's been considered the face of baseball, not the other sports, but the face of baseball, who doesn't play in a major uh, metropolitan market, almost meaning New York, um, Boston to a degree, Los Angeles, but and Chicago, but at the same time, uh, has a World Series ring. I think there is a huge component to the World Series rings that make players become faces of baseball. We had Jimmy Rollins on with us, of course, for you guys remember, played for the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm-hmm. And he, he had a terrific resume, but the bottom of the resume, of course, said World Series champion in 2008. And the idea that you win a World Series championship changes everything. So I think that in order for Trout to become more a football, it is critical that he and the Angels win a World Series. I really do. He's a little Jeter-esque in that he's not a, especially early in Derek's career, he's not a guy that celebrates his own performance. Right. But Jeter became the greater face of baseball when the Yankees started piling up World Series victories because there was really nothing flashy about Jeter, but there was those World Series rings and I think that's what he's got to have happen to him. Carl, thank you so much once again for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I'm sorry we didn't have the Ravi Train theme song on our pro- <laughs> podcast, but uh, again, thank you so much. It means a lot. Thank you, Mr. Ravi. All right, let's do it. We'll do it again in the second half of the season. Excellent. Sounds thank great. You. See you guys. So that was Carl Ravage, ESPN's Baseball Tonight host, and Matt Carl was great. Um, he was gave awesome. us a lot of his time. It, again, was very nice of him to do that. Um, and he said a lot of interesting things. The I, most interesting is when he called you out on Shohei Otani. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, 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 I'm glad that he's listening. Me too. And then it was just great. It provided humor to us. <laughs> I bet you feel great. Oh, my God. You're probably it's the on highlight top of the world. podcast. If, if that were me, if I was in your shoes, I, that would be the highlight of my life. We can retire this podcast now. I don't need to record anymore. You're right. I mean, I would. I, this is going to the Hall of Fame. And now we are joined by arguably two higher-ranked hosts, John Butensky, a return to Button Center, and Will Bjarnar, his debut. And yeah, out of the real guests. The <laughs> real guests, really. For, first-time bunter. First-time bunter. Long-time listener. I swing for the fence. Guys, what did you think of the interview? He is one of the best in the business, and I'm not saying that because I'm on the podcast, but I always enjoy Carl Rash, whether he's in the booth or he's in the studio with baseball tonight. He, he just He's just so knowledgeable about the game, and it's just always a pleasure to listen to him. Yeah, I mean, he said it all. It was, it was a great interview. He gave you guys, like you said, a lot of his time, and, I mean, he didn't disappoint whatsoever. Like, when you guys told me that you were bringing him on, I that's exactly what I was expecting. I was expecting him to give you exactly kind of what he gives in the booth every day or whatever podcast he goes on like I I love him just like you said John I I love him whatever he's doing and yeah it was a great interview overall so he ended things off with Otani and kind of giving us his opinion on what he thinks the future can hold for him but I just love how he wrapped up he gave us a solid answer for what we were talking about last week with the hype of Mike Trout and Otani because remember we spent a lot of time on it and it's very I was even talking about it outside of the show, too. It, it's hard to figure out why Mike Trout is in the position where he is at globally with the game as being the face. I didn't really think to make a Derek Jeter comp like he did, which I thought was really interesting. Because, like he said, Derek Jeter was Mike Trout. Like He did everything by the book. He had a smile on his face. He was a nice guy. But he was in New York. 
anyone multiple World Series. Right. And it's but it's still like hard for me because like I thought about Derek Derek Jeter, but then again, right. He didn't Mike Trout doesn't have the playoff wins, never mind World Series. Right. But then you would say, Well, okay, well Aaron Judge doesn't have that either and he's flying up the ranks to the face of the game. But again, Aaron Judge at least has won a playoff series. He has multiple home runs. And he's so, in New York. And he's in New York. Um so I guess that postseason success really does skyrocket you up um, the ranks of the faces of the game. But one thing that I wanted to ask him that we didn't exactly have time for that's been kind of a topic of discussion, especially with our boy Brian Kenny. Um, he's, <laughs> he's been getting a lot of heat on Twitter for his MLB Now top 10 shortstop rankings. He had Didi at 9 entering the year. The Shredder didn't even have him on the list. Well, that's because the Shredder hasn't made sense in, what, six years now? (laughs) (laughs) Robots are supposed to be better than us. Um, So, I guess, John, the Yankee fan, will ask you first, where does Didi rank for you right now as the top, like, where does he, yeah, where does, give us your top five shortstops. Oh, boy. He's definitely a top five shortstop. And I'm not saying that being biased as a Yankee fan, but the way he's performed with his bat and in the field with a cannon arm and a potential potential gold glove, he really is a candidate to be a top five shortstop. You have to argue Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor. Wait, wait, no, no, no. You do not have to argue Corey Seager after last night. No, I'm not. Did you to... see Kiki Hernandez's place? No, I didn't. Oh my God! Wow. We wow. don't have video on a podcast, so this is pretty <laughs> lame. But they were amazing. Really? I'll have to show you after. Anyway, continue. Um. So wait, what does it have to do with Corey Seager? Because Kiki's already better than Corey Seager. Oh, okay. That's wow. what I thought you were saying, that's but I wasn't. That is. That's a hot take. Um. All right. He was kidding. Just for the people. <laughs> kidding, like, kidding. That sure. reaction didn't exactly. It was obvious that he was kidding. Of course, he ruined my thoughts. So Seager, <laughs> Correa, Lindor. I'm gonna say Didi also, and then for fifth. And again, this isn't in the same order, obviously. I mean, you could, I don't want to waste any more time, but Didi is a, a top five shortstop. So what he can do on the field is outstanding. And I think his personality off the field is what makes him even better. I love his emojis. <laughs> Start <laughs> spreading the news. Start spreading the news, yeah. Mr. Bogart. I, I, yeah, Mr. Bogart. I, I don't see how you oh, can. Yeah. Mr. Bogart. I would probably, I would say Bogart's, Bogart's this year has probably been in the conversation. I I mean, obviously he's hurt right now, but I mean, he's been an integral part of the Red Sox success, even though he has been out for an extended period. Right. I mean, it's a young season. I'd probably put it's a very young season. I'd probably put him fifth. I'd definitely put Didi above him. I think Didi, you could make an argument that this season he's been more important to the New York Yankees than Gary Sanchez has been. And I don't even think that's a question. I obviously think that Judge and Stanton are always going to be held in higher regard simply because they are the two sluggers on the roster, and Didi is the occasional slugger, I guess you could say. But he's w- pro- easily a top three hitter on that yeah. team already, and I think he's only going to get better. He's a fantastic shortstop as it is in the field. So, yeah, I don't I don't think he's nine, and I definitely don't think he's anywhere off the lower list. than that, anywhere off yeah. the list. He's I would, I would probably put him fourth. I got one more thing to say about Didi. In 2017, he had 25 walks. And that Oof. was in 136 games. In 21, he already has 15. And now you're gonna say that's a small sample size, but he's, no, that's good. It's that's a great. St- he's yeah. his plate discipline is just getting better. 
He's, he's becoming uh, a better player. His strikeout rate is plummeting. Exactly. I think he's up there with like guys like Joe Panic, who's known for not striking out. Yeah. Didi is one of those hitters now. I think it's like 8.6% of his plate appearances are now strikeouts. That is absurd. But And that's a guy, most of those guys don't really have power. He's hitting, I think he's in, what, top three in the MLB in home runs with seven. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, okay. No, no. Right. I'm not <laughs> saying that that's, no, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, Joe Panic doesn't have DD power. We also need to talk about the Yankees short portion right field if you're going to talk about that, though. Oh, come on. He hits bombs. Some of them are. No, hold on. Last night was a bomb. Some of them are Yankee Stadium homers, but yes. my point, Matt, was it's not, he's not hitting eight homers sure. this season. He's an all-around um, great hitter. That's right. your point. So, I agree. Right now, because I've been I've been on the DD fan bus for two years now, um, and it's funny in my group chat from back home we always text during the game, and 2016, um, a couple of months into the season, every time DD made a nice play or had a great hit, I would text DD needs to be an all star, <laughs> and it just kind of became a running oh, joke, God. and then last year it was DD needs you know DD needs to be an all star blah 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 he still didn't get it after the all star break. Those texts turned into Didi needs to be an MVP candidate. And this year, right now, he's graduated to Didi needs to be an MVP. Like, he's been that good. Um, I still think, obviously, it's a too small of a sample size to continue to push him into the top through two shortstops in the game. Because if somebody wanted to tell me Lindor and Correa were both better than Didi, I'd probably agree with them. I think I over think the course to. of the year and of the course of their career, they are going to be the better player, and I think they're the bigger threats. Also younger. That's a big thing. Also younger, and I, I think there's probably less holes in their game. Mm. Um, but I would say Didi's third right now. I don't want to hear Gene Segura. I don't want to hear Bogarts. I'm not taking anything away from these players. I, I'm kind of don't want to hear Corey Seager anymore either. Um, I Didi, want to hear more about Kiki. <laughs> Didi has been that good, and it's just unbelievable because, kind of like you said, Matt, he's flying under the radar if that's even possible. Um, the homers are always going to get you know played the most with Judge and Stanton when they go 460 plus feet. But with Didi being that athletic, that skilled in the field, that arm is ridiculous. And now he's hitting. <laughs> I mean, this year is unbelievable. Um, the only reason he's flying under the radar is because he was a bust when he came over sure. after Jeter. People were literally chanting Jeter at his play. It was terrible. He was lost. I mean, that April, cool. that first day, not... That's, yeah, that's go not ahead, the John. reason why he's flying under the radar. I, mean, I absolutely think it is. He was terrible. Today, no, today, right now. That's the reason he's flying under the radar, yes. Because he's... No, but it's because of Judge and Stanton. He's not the big name on there. Yeah, that's 100% so what it is. You, th- you think if the Yankees didn't have Judge and Stanton, you think Didi would get national attention regularly? I think he's uh, saying as far th- as recognize as one of the top-tier yeah. shortstops. Not necessarily among Yankee fans, but nationally. I think four years ago, when three years ago when they acquired him, yeah, he's not going to receive national attention because of Jeter. But I think if he got, if he got off to a hot start after he replaced Jeter when he first came over to the Yankees, I think... He would be getting that attention today. Well, if you replace the most beloved Yankee of all time with a guy who is immediately productive, I think that's right. just automatically kind of a yeah. given. And I think that's part of the reason why he's not getting any attention, because his first year, maybe two years, he was pretty dreadful to watch. I think I, 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 th- I don't think I can necessarily disagree with you, but I think that it's just simply... He's going to have to prove it more than other guys have to prove it because yeah. he did struggle so much in the beginning of his career. Um, so he's going to need a few years to, for guys to believe. And this year he's believe. showing us that he is legit. 
Um, like I said, his walks are up. His strikeouts are down. His power seems to be right where we thought it was going to be, if not more. Um, he's hitting for better average, and he's still elite in the field. Didi is unbelievable. Um, right now, he's one of the best players in the game, never mind shortstops. So uh, the Yankees have a lot of things going for him, especially up the middle of that infield. Um, moving on to another thing that Carl talked about was Matt Harvey. And um, obviously with Matt Zukevich being the Met fan, he can kind of chime in here a little bit. But it was interesting to me what Carl said about his attitude and that if it worked for you at one point in time or with one team, then you can't blame the attitude when it doesn't work for you at later in your career right. or in a different location. Um, and I thought that was very interesting because it makes a lot of sense and I think that's one of the reasons why we all love Matt Harvey is because he did kind of have that cocky attitude, that diva to him, but it made him so polarizing because he was so good. And now, I guess I ask you as a Met fan, Matt, is it rubbing you the wrong way at this point? Look, when we look at dominant Matt Harvey versus crappy Matt Harvey, there's a very distinct problem that happened in between. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the Tommy John surgery. I don't think it was the thoracic outlet surgery. Ariana, Adriana, Ariana Lima broke up with him. Adriana Lima. Adriana. Disrespectful on, host. Sorry. I'm Unbelievable. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't watch supermodels. I don't look at any of that Where stuff. Where would you watch supermodels? <laughs> the Victoria's, Victoria's Secret. Secret show, of course. Duh. That Duh. is not on my DVR. He doesn't even know what Victoria's Secret is. It's still a secret to him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Like literally, after he broke up with, or after she broke up with him, like he just his attitude went off the rails. Like he would stop showing up are to you practices. Being, like seriously, no, asking, this, are you being serious? Right I'm now? being serious. This okay. isn't me being an ass. Okay. Like he actually did go off the rails. No, sure. That's why I'm at. Like it's he, he went, stopped going to things. He stopped. He going went to, into hiding. For he yeah, stopped right. going to practices. He showed up really late to games. Like, and there's a very distinct correlation between that. I'm not, so like, he he needs to go see the heart doctor. He yes, to, that's what I'm that's saying, broken dude. Heart. Wow, like, this this you know that Julian serious. Edelman broke up with her because he didn't want to settle down and get married. Yeah, and, and then, Edelman's like, just fine. And I think until he tore his ACL. No, I so think there is a Lima curse. my fantasy what you're team. Saying. Right, I don't it's think like the Lima God curse. It's <laughs> the Lima curse. Lima didn't like break up with him to his face. I think she was seen with Edelman again. I don't dun, know that dun. it was Edelman. You could be right, and I could be wrong. But I don't remember it being Edelman, but I do know that she, she was, was like cheating on him, or yes. seen with another guy, and Harvey was like, and I mean, like, we, taking a bag. And this just is this is me decided, being completely. You know, the Mets don't matter anymore. This is me being completely <laughs> serious. Like, pe- athletes are people, and if my girlfriend was doing that, they are. <laughs> if, <laughs> they're not robots. I'm, I'm happy you prefaced that with I'm being completely serious. <laughs> I need that <laughs> distinction before you go into that. If my girlfriend is doing that, I don't care who right, I am. Right, but that was a year ago. What it like? Uh, something has to be. I, I guess. Let me rephrase this question. I think that was a turning point. Okay, let me rephrase it to you. Does Matt Harvey say, on a scale of one to ten, how pissed am I? I'm a ten. Does that make you angry? As a Mets fan? Yes. No. Or you want to see that? Though. I want to see that. I want him. I want him to be a starter. And guess what? I want Seth Lugo to be or, a starter. I want I want Seth Lugo to want to be a starter, and I want Robert Gesellman to want to be a starter. Or like, do you just want him to shut up and get better and do his job? Because now if I'm a Met fan, I'm tired of hearing right. about Matt Harvey. Because guess what? He doesn't mean anything to these 2018 Mets. We have that. our two horses. 
You, he doesn't mean it. He, he means nothing you clearly, to the 2019 Mets because he's gone. You clearly have not watched a lot of Mets in the past 10 years. <laughs> you say we have two workhorses now, we'll have zero come in. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but you got rid of Manny Ramirez. And <laughs> strength and conditioning coach. Matt, so be there all Manny year. Ramirez? Isn't that his name? No. Ru- Ray Ramirez? Name? Ray Ramirez. <laughs> Manny Ramirez. <laughs> So they should, maybe they should hire Manny Ramirez. Yeah, he didn't bat probably third. do a better job. The he, he can be he can be Matt Harvey's heart doctor. So, <laughs> like Matt Harvey could still be productive for this team, and he could still get a major league contract if he bounces back. Well, why are you laughing? If he bounces back and becomes a productive I'm reliever, still thinking about Ray Ramirez. <laughs> oh, okay. If he bounces back, he can be a productive reliever for the Mets. I think if I mean his velocity has dropped crazily. Mm-hmm. He, he was once reaching 100 miles per hour. Now he's 92. This that's terrible. That's ridiculous. Um, but I think another thing we need to consider is that like, this is their life. They they're look. He's looking at his free agent year right now. This is supposed to be his big walk right. year, where he's supposed to make hundreds of millions of dollars. He could be making ten millions of dollars to start if he was a good starter. Uh-huh. Now maybe he'll get a minor league contract if he's lucky and, and bounces back in the bullpen. He'll get two million. He sees his payday going down, and I want him to be mad about that. He should be mad about that. I would be mad about that too. I'm on this podcast for free. I could be on another podcast making <laughs> Oh, my money. God. Oh, you is could that right? be on ESPN. That's what I'm saying, dude. Behind the scenes production work. But I, you're here with us, and that's why we love you so much. Can I give two reasons? Let's hear them. One, he's out of shape. I, I disagree with that. Don't get me wrong. He's a fat shit. I'll be quite honest with you. <laughs> okay. We had a curse on the show? No, but now I have to put right, the explicit the, marker on. Edit that out. Jobs for you. Um, I think he's out he, of shape. he was out of shape. I think he, he does not look bad now. Okay, I haven't seen a picture of him recently. Right, he, uh, two, like, <laughs> he needs a real big a- attitude adjustment. The guy made up his Carl Ravitch disagrees with you. He has his own pissed-off scale. On a, he's a 10 out of 10 on the pissed-off scale. I have a pissed-off scale, too. Have you seen me hungry? I missed lunch today. No, I'm getting I there. You don't wait, have, wait. You didn't have your Pringles with you. <laughs> now, I, don't know, I don't know if that's necessarily the problem, John, because like Matt said, what do you want him to do? Be happy that he's got demoted? But I think what where I'm trying to go with this is does he just need to simply shut his mouth? I think it's I think it's just as much mentally than it is physically. <laughs> I think it's more of it that we don't know. It's something something mentally is not there. He something's wrong. Lima. Yeah, it's the fact that he got dumped <laughs> by a, a, a supermodel. Super yeah. Is he, like, and I, not when I, really dumped. Just <laughs> oh, that you've moved on. <laughs> <laughs> when I look at Matt Harvey, I see a guy that just doesn't care about the game. He doesn't have that same fire and passion that he did, like starting the game at City Field five, six years ago. Yeah, he's I don't, not the same player. So I don't know if I want to mentally. You're saying. Yeah, I, I both, think both physically, both physically I but, say, but I think it's just as much mentally. mentally. Okay. Right now, I don't see him in an eighth inning coming off the mound and and saying to Mickey Callaway, "Give me the ball for the ninth. Mentally. I don't, I don't see him doing that like he did in the World Series. So you're saying he doesn't care. That's what you're saying. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't maybe, really know. Maybe he's indifferent. I'm, and I'm not saying I think it's a, a Met thing, but I, I, I absolutely agree I'm with I'm not you. sure if it's I don't care. I, I think he just doesn't have the confidence. Am I crazy for just simply not believing that? Because I'm I, I, I was I'm always one of the fans who just I stick with guys who have been there and done that in the past longer than maybe I should because I just don't buy – that that same guy could be totally gone. You could, I, I think you have a chance to be 110% correct, but for me, I still just, there's something about Matt Harvey that I cannot give up on him. Bonnie, look at the numbers. He's not there anymore. It's 100 down to 92. I, I know, and there's no reason for me to believe that, but there's just something about that guy. And like you said, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, like pumping his fist, just filled with adrenaline coming yeah. off of the mound. 
I just doesn't that have to be somewhere? I guess it's a question directed more towards you, Matt. <laughs> does, he, does he still have his stuff? Not the velocity. Does he still have his stuff? Does he, he still have his braking? He ball? looks flat. So okay, so he, he has nothing. I does mean, he still have the huevos? That's <laughs> what I want to know. I don't know what that means. I mean, I know does what that he means. have it? Did he lose no, it? I he thought doesn't. Eggs in Spanish. What are eggs? Huevos. No, they are huevos. Huevos is eggs. Oh, yeah. I was right. <laughs> no, that he's, is eggs. He's trying to say balls. Because does, does, oh, like, all right. we I know, know what that he's trying to say, but let's be very clear. Huevos means eggs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so does <laughs> Matt Harvey have eggs? Adriana Lima took them <laughs> with her. Like, we, we look at guys and, you know, elite starters. You know, Max Scherzer has it. Not even – forget about their baseball talent. We know that he has that dog in him. Right. We know that Mad Bum has that dog. Justin Verlander is a dog. Chris Sale. <laughs> Chris Clayton Sale Kershaw is a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Where did the dog go in Matt Harvey? And is he lost forever or will he eventually be returned by somebody to collect the reward? I think he only gets the dog every other weekend. The dog, I think so the Lima dog took went it. with Adriana. Yeah. <laughs> listen, she, listen. No, she, she took it and she said, this dog smells and I don't want to bait it. She euthanized it. She euthanized the dog. It is chilling in the pound. This metaphor is getting really weird really quickly. I would love so that I'm, we're still I'm going to put an end to this. Yeah, end this t- topic for us. I don't have much more to say. All right, let's move on. <laughs> we'll wrap the show up. Um, Will is a Red Sox fan. The Red Sox were no hit over the weekend by Sean Manaya. Um, Manaya, Manaya. Don't care. What? I, yeah. See, wait, well, I just don't know. I don't want Carl Ravage to call me Manaya. out again. Manaya. He looks like Marcus Mariota. He does look like Marcus Mariota. This is a baseball podcast about sports. I'm just saying. When I see him on TV, I'm like, yeah, it looks like Marcus Mariota. All right. So we were talking about it right before we started. Is that baseball is a funny way of Every single day, slapping you right in the face and reminding you it's not over until it's over. The Red Sox were on top of the world, and they got no hit by the Oakland Athletics. Will, let's hear your thoughts. Okay. I'm pretty sure one of the anecdotes that they were talking about was the fact that Sean Manea had, what, three burgers and a large fry yeah. prior mm-hmm. to this no-hitter? Yes, correct. So I have a bigger problem with that than I think I do the fact that they got no hit. There were a couple. I, okay, there were a couple questionable calls throughout the game. The whole Benintendi thing, I 100%. still kind of have a problem with. Yep. And even if that was the only hit, I'm fine with it. I don't like the stigma of being no hit, especially by the Oakland A's. Look, okay. Sean, 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 he's not a bad like, pitcher. He's not a bad. He's, he's a good not pitcher. A bad pitcher. Right. No, but, but don't give me that. But I, no, I, he's I, having I, a no, good year. I'm mean, not going to give you that I'm because with, he is a good. He's a fine pitcher. He's a stable pitcher who can go out and be productive on a night-to-night basis. But this is the hottest team in baseball. No question about it. Or I don't know if I want. I don't want to speak for the future. As of right now, I still, even after the two straight losses, I still think at 17 and four, they're hitting like it's it's their job, which it is. But <laughs> last year, they, like the Dickens, they, they they did not have the stuff that they have. And right the homers now. are way up. It's it's insane, and it's not even J D Martinez. Right. It's guys like Betts. It's Devers. It's Mitch Bogarts. Moreland's before we got Mitch right. Moreland had a great coming? night, I believe against the Angels. It was a couple. I I don't think it was. Against, it definitely wasn't against the A's because we've scored one run in two games. But mm-hmm. against the Angels, I'm pretty sure he had a four RBI night. Right. And so it's guys that aren't necessarily, you know, those bigger names. Like you expect Betts to go out there and give you And a it looks RBIs like he's back to the MVP and form. Back, and I think he's definitely back at the MVP form. But Martinez hasn't been the what hundred and whatever million dollar man that we were like he's gonna go out and hit you 
a three-run homer every single night. Yeah. Sure, he's been productive, but so the fact that the hottest team in baseball got no hit by arguably one of the you know more lukewarm teams in baseball, not even lukewarm, I'd probably say refrigerator temperature teams in baseball. Yeah, like a cool 35. A cool 36, 37, yeah. like when you leave the fridge open and yeah. it starts <laughs> to beep at you. That's where the A's are. Your fridge beeps at you? My, fr- my fridge, fridge away was so when it, that's where the, you know, but Adrian and Lima took them. We've, we have to. But so frustrated, yes. Worried, no. Yeah, I don't want to. Uh, it's not we that it's worried, but I just I love it on that. as a Yankee fan. All of these well, April, not? All, not even like, ooh, the Red Sox got no hit, ha, ha, ha. It's just not, not like to stick it to the Red Sox themselves. It's all of those April Twitter warriors that are just all over the place right now on top of Yankee fans. Ooh, Red Sox were 14-2. and two. Mets are on fire. Bet you missed Todd Frazier. Stanton's <laughs> a bust, you loser. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, three days later... And the the rain clouds have cleared, and they took a nice big bucket of cold water and threw it on both of the chum buckets of the MLB. John, Bono, I love who it. hurt you? I, I, you know what? A lot of people. That's a SpongeBob reference. Yeah, the chum, chum buckets. buckets. I love it. I, it's just, it's embarrassing for the Red Sox. Not necessarily because they got no hit, which is embarrassing. But don't give me Sean Mania's. No, I think uh, that's an embarrassment. I think getting no hit, even though it, he's fine, it's the Oakland A's. But can you hit the baseball? You you've, swallow. You've hit, you you racked up what twelve runs? Not twelve runs on Otani himself, but he was arguably yeah. one of the hotter pitchers in baseball. And then we rack up eight runs on the guy. He's a fraud. Or whatever you it was. He's a or Sheho. Swallow still, the pill. No, I've been completely warped. <laughs> can't you swallow the pill if you're no hit by a Kershaw or a Scherzer yeah, or a Sale? You almost expect that. I can't swallow the pill if it's against the A's. No. M and I, I just can't do it. It's just stuck in my throat. Sean Manaya has a one-two-three ERA. What's today's date? We John? played twenty-one games, John. <laughs> How many games three. has he started and won? He's three and two on a, on a poorly poor offensive team. This oh, guy, we're, we're I just, pro kill the win. On this <laughs> no, I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> but I think you guys are kind of like putting him down a bit. I, Sean Manaya is having a nice year. Sean so Manaya, if you're listening. I'm pro Sean Manaya. <laughs> He's not no hit though. We no, might have I... to have him on the show next week for this. Harlan He's... Garcia could have been a no hit guy. Patrick oh, Corbin, God. you think he's a no hit guy? First you know, you all, guys know me. I'm a prospect nerd. This guy was a former top prospect. But we're not going to bring Garcia into, the, <laughs> into this. Oh, I will bring Harlan Garcia into because this because that one wasn't happening. Um, and as far what was the other name you just told? Oh, Patrick, Patrick Corbin? Corbin. He could be coming into his own. I don't know. Maybe Sean Manaya is too, but it's too early in the season to say anything. You got that right, sister. And on that note, we're going to end the show. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy Call Ravage. I'm Matt Bono. I'm Matt Ravage. You're Matt Ravage? Yes. <laughs> I'm Will Bjarnar. I am John Butensky. Thank you for listening, everybody. Remember to follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud at Button Center.